I very much uh, enjoy and think it's important to speak about diversity, but I also very much enjoy speaking about my, my uh, primary areas of expertise in data and software. Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Ansuya. Welcome, Stephanie, to the Swisspreneur podcast. We're very glad to have you here today. Great to be here. Thank you. So Stephanie is an entrepreneur, investor, and currently working at Palantir as a tech lead. Palantir is one of the world's leading data science companies. So Stephanie, we'll get right into it with firstly your personal story. And there's so many interesting things to talk about today. Like uh, you've founded various organizations. You've really worked on the topic of diversity and tech for good. So I'm super excited to be discussing that with you. And uh, so many transitions that you've made and added on, uh, you know, enriched your personal life with your professional life. So happy to discuss that as well today. Yeah, excited. Thanks. All right. So Stephanie, you studied management, information systems and innovation in London. Yeah. Uh, you've been also, as you mentioned to me previously, traveling around, lived in different cities and countries. Uh, so why did you decide, like having also grown up here in Switzerland, to go and study abroad? So part of my thinking was uh, exposure to a variety of cultures. And part of it was also exposure to the business and mentality around starting something new and entrepreneurship. I think the biggest contrast in cultures you can take is like Swiss or continental European versus American, where where failure is celebrated, uh, uh, if not quite celebrated, but uh, accepted. Uh, whereas in continental Europe, it's a little more complicated. So I wanted to be in an environment where the learning methods were different and the uh, attitude around entrepreneurship uh, was more encouraging than it was in Switzerland. Awesome. And how did it go like professionally for you being there as a student? Because you already had started to explore with your entrepreneurial interests back then. Mm -hmm. um, so how did all of that like sort of shape out in London? Well, it started out as uh, filling a gap in what I saw in terms of uh, tech events offerings in London and organizations for students to bridge between tech companies and where where I was in my in my studies and came across organizations that facilitated entrepreneurship and then I started applying my skills from uh, events and community organizing to businesses through organizations like Entrepreneur First. Um, so it wasn't an entirely intentional move to um, uh, to to starting organizations, but uh, naturally through my interests, I came across organizations that facilitated that. And what kind of inspired you to, you know, go in this direction in the first place? So what, what attracted you or drew you towards these programs, for example, back then? It had a lot to do with the ambition or the focus um, of making positive change through these organizations. And I enjoy 
building things from scratch. And so the the combination of those two were really interesting. I also really enjoy organizations that innovate business models to change the way a market works uh, for the better. So Entrepreneur First, for example, identified that if you were to take individual founders, even before they had an idea and put them together and gave them the right circumstances in terms of access, uh, ideas, educating them about industries and starting a business, then you would sort of artificially create an environment in which businesses flourish. And so when I see smart business models, innovative business models like that, I want to be a part of it and support it. And that's exactly what Entrepreneur First was doing or was starting to do and and has now been doing for more than 10 years with a, a lot of success. Perfect. And did you like manage to do something interesting out of the program? Did you meet people that you continue to work with later on as well? Yeah, there were well, three uh, interesting takeaways from Entrepreneur First. The first one is I learned I had a coding program as part of it and, of course, met people through that, but developed some pretty fundamental skills I've, I still use today. Second were skills more in entrepreneurship. So they adopt the lean startup methodology. So a lot around the focus uh, and customer centricity, building, testing. You're, you're probably familiar with lean mm -hmm. methodology. Um, and... Of course, uh, the people that you uh, the, the people that you meet through the program were were extraordinary and inspiring. And so between the sort of two types of skill sets and the people you're exposed to, mm -hmm. uh, you really get uh, get a lot out of the program. Wow, great. I, actually, I should have also tried for one of these programs now that that you're explaining it. Yeah, and yeah. there are a few that exist, and it's quite smart. It's over several months. Um, at the time, it was when I did went through the program, it was the second year. So they were still iterating on the model, and now it's very, very solid and very competitive to, to get in. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then uh, in 2016, right, uh, you went on to found uh, Girls... Um, in tech Switzerland, right? This was your first venture, which was focused on an inclusive tech community. Mm -hmm. So how did that journey from, you know, going into these different programs and, and building up yourself entrepreneurially mm -hmm. lead you to this more driven, focused uh, building of a community here in Switzerland? Yeah, so... When I came back to Switzerland in 2015 or 2016, I had set out, set out to build a business. I had a few hypotheses for, for business ideas and I missed the community I had in London around, uh, around te technology expertise where what existed in Switzerland was either digital marketing, which wasn't my area of tech, or let's say uh, pure kind of code clubs, code reviews, which I love as well. But I wanted something in between, which were tech experts events that were talking about the future of technology, the implications in our lives and in our businesses um, without almost more from a bridging between business and tech perspective. And that didn't exist. And so I set out to create it. I had worked with Girls in Tech in London before, so I used that as a vehicle. Mm -hmm. And then the other... Um, and it's through Girls in Tech that I later found out that there was actually a, a big tech talent gap and gender gap, mm -hmm. um, but it wasn't entirely intentional. I was I was a solo um, entrepreneur and wanted uh, 
to find my my community and people who cared about similar things to me. Uh, so I created it. And how was it like the experience of being in these girls and tech communities mm. and leading the chapter here in Switzerland? How was it different or how was it as well beneficial mm. uh, from other tech communities that you have experienced? Um, I think it's similarly beneficial to other communities. What I enjoy very much about the principles of uh, Girls in Tech Switzerland is that we want to organize tech events that where people are coming because they're experts in their area and it's a diverse and you know gender balanced set of experts that are that are joining the conversation uh, but the discussion is not about diversity in tech um, most of the time it's uh, very much about the, the the people's expertise and putting a spotlight on role models um, that resemble uh, people <laughs> the majority of people and encouraging uh women in particular but people in general to join the workforce where in switzerland we're 117,000 tech workers short which is a lot and women will help close the gap but not only so yeah you mentioned this and this is an astonishing number um so tell me more about uh this tech gap that you noticed and also you know you as well started TechFace in 2018 yeah. for this very purpose, um, trying to cover these two aspects, the talent gap as well as the diversity in tech. So tell me more about, you know, why then started this one? Yeah, so um, as we were building out uh, Girls in Tech Switzerland, we had um, members of the community you know, qualified tech workers struggling to find work. And on the flip side, we had companies coming to us who wanted to uh, improve their candidates' pipelines. And so we knew there was a problem in the model and the recruitment model is, the traditional recruitment model is that you get paid per person you place. And so companies will hire recruiters when they have a specific job to fill. Uh, generally, they'll hire recruiters if they haven't already filled it through their employee network. Mm -hmm. If you hire through your employee network, that can mean that you end up having very similar profiles of people, so going against diversity. So we wanted to change that. And the principle of TechFace, which we realized through some of the company branding in Girls in Tech, is that you have to build relationships with your candidates a year before you actually have a job for them. So that's one principle is most companies are not famous, even if they are a person, a candidate is not naturally inclined to work with you unless you build a, a, a sort of company a relationship similar to retail. It's no longer transactional. You build a relationship with a brand over time. And... Um, and second, you have to get to know a person beyond their CV. So we had a conference, our flagship conference with TechFace recently, and we have talent matching events where uh, companies will meet candidates. And the idea is for them to get a sense of the person, their their learning attitude, um, and versus focusing only on their CV. So we had, um, we've had companies be skeptical about it because they'll judge on the CV as, as they have so far. And then they'll come to the event and they'll walk out saying, I think every person in that room is a potential candidate for a company. Where if they had taken only the CV as a basis, it, 
they're trying to match so much based on the experience versus mm -hmm. the the attitude and the learning Definitely. capabilities of the person in front of them. Yes. Uh, for me as well, uh, you know, in the different projects and companies that mm. I continuously hire for, I see it exactly the same way as, mm. as you're mentioning it. That on the CV, of course, the skills, you know, they're important. But mm. what is more important is how they would assimilate into your team, mm. their attitude, their working style. Yeah. Um, Because in the end, actually learning a new skill is more of a, the attitude itself. Like they yeah. could learn a new tech skill. They could learn how to program. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but if they don't fit well into the culture of your team or your company, then, yeah. then it doesn't really work out that great. Exactly. All right. And how does it work with the companies? Do they approach you? How do you set up this, uh, you know, network? Yeah, so the companies uh, work with us on an annual uh, subscription basis. So the incentives we wanted to change there is we wanted to make, we require of the companies that they are engaged with the community. So they have to attend events, they go through an audit. Um, we have an initiative uh, called Role Models in Tech where companies are joining us to like walk the talk of diversity. So not only are they communicating about diversity, but they're actually taking steps like job sharing and others that make mm -hmm. a workplace more inclusive. Um, and so the idea is that if a company has partnered with Techface, uh, we've looked at them To, for the type of workplace they are, we want to provide that service to our community mm -hmm. and protect the community to be working with organizations that are aligned with our values as TechFace and therefore the the community that adheres to, to TechFace. You mentioned job sharing. So mm -hmm. that's also something that I see coming up a lot lately. Yeah. Um, and I also see that as as more of a need coming from women rather than men yeah. like how do you see certain kinds of let's say working styles different between men and women and how it needs to be catered to if at all i don't have very strong opinions about this mm -hmm. i recommend you speak to my co-founder who is an uh, who is an expert in uh, creating more diverse and inclusive workplaces okay and how many people are there like running tech face is there Yeah, so we have my managing director, we have a um, uh, digital marketing lead, mm -hmm. and we have a person leading the development of our uh, talent matching platform, um, which is a platform that removes the CV and focuses on skills and expertise and wants to emphasize the meeting uh, candidates versus judging purely on CV. So the aim there is to focus more on uh, skills and expertise in the qualitative sense um, and culture matching versus uh, only uh, a sort of uh, most cases where it's a machine that's analyzing a CV mm -hmm. yes. um, and uh, a very sort of uh, um, less qualitative analysis of, of, a, of a person based on their CV only. And do you focus mostly in Switzerland or also other places around Europe? At the moment, we're focusing on Switzerland. Uh, we're thinking about, uh, yeah, we're we're thinking about growing either um, 
sort of growing into different countries with similar offerings as what we offer in TechFace in Switzerland. Um, so that would be the platform, the conferences, talent, talent matching events, mm-hmm. um, and expanding out. At the moment, a big focus is the platform, uh, which is in, in its beta stages now with a few of our customers already uh, on the platform uh, and a few hundred candidates on the platform. And uh, yeah, so we'll see. Uh, it's definitely an objective to expand that beyond Switzerland once the proof of concept is complete. All right. Thank you. We will definitely check it out as well. You know, the companies I work for could be very useful for us as well. Yeah, great. So I'm curious to know, um, you know, there are a lot of such organizations that have started coming up lately. Like what is the effort and, uh, you know, the due diligence that is needed to start such organizations? Uh, How do you kind of go around acquiring the people that you need to run it and, and set the whole thing up? Uh, the uh, an organization like TechFace? Yes. So I don't know because we it came from a more organic place, I mm-hmm. want to say, where we had built a community that trusted us already. And so when we were able to, well, we joined forces with a lot of the communities that existed. I'm thinking about, uh, I think, Women in Digital, uh, We Shape Tech. And so we knew there was a place mm-hmm. for our organization, both Girls in Tech and TechFace, but we also knew we needed to join forces. All of our, uh, whenever we set out a goal, the first thing we do is, are there any initiatives that exist that we can join forces with? So my recommendation would be, if you're thinking of starting an organization or you want to work towards a goal, start by thinking what exists that we can join forces with mm-hmm. to build upon. Um, and then if you conclude there's something unique that you should build, then great. Um, but maybe there's something that exists that you can bring leverage to um, and benefit from uh, hopefully yourself as well. So here you would say basically networking with the right organizations was the key um, to kind of get into understanding what is missing and and getting the right uh, partnerships, essentially. Yeah, totally. So when we started uh, Girls in Tech Switzerland, we had a few events that were not niche enough. So we we started organizing a couple of events. I mean, they were popular, but we realized we weren't positioning ourselves. So, for example, we explicitly chose not to focus on startup skills. We only focus on, uh, well, our, our primary focus is women in tech but in the corporate sense so in the career sense you're focusing on career topics and tech topics and that's it but that was through iteration and seeing what worked and seeing what was existing in the market so there's an element of uh, understanding what's in the market and positioning yourself and then just testing and seeing what what works well and what what is unique uh, to you and whether when you're putting those things out there whether you're attracting the crowd you intended to Mm -hmm. mm-hmm mm-hmm Now, both these organizations are, you know, taglining and kind of focusing on promoting and uh, fixing the whole diversity issue. Mm. Um, Earlier when we talked about it, uh, we also discussed this sort of uh, common uh, pain point that Mm. diversity is being too much harped upon, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, being a woman like it's being brought too much into the focus versus our skills. Mm. Um, you know, so what do you feel about this? Like, how has this kind of affected you um, in your career? Um, I mean, I don't know whether it's affected me in my career. And that's the part where it's like, uh, on the one hand, 
I mean, I think there's been a lot of improvement over time where people are a little more sensitive to it. Mm -hmm. But the parts where I, um, I've kind of changed my own policy is I will not participate to events on the topic of diversity that neither at the very least cover costs and, you know, at the medium uh, pay their their speakers. You cannot host an event about diversity and inclusion and then expect people, often the unrepresented people that they're asking to speak about, you know, the, the yeah. issues uh, to come unpaid yes. uh, or at their own cost. So that's been a change in my, I would say, that impacts my um, uh, my decisions and where I, I choose to spend my time. So in that sense, it affected my career because I chose not to uh, mm -hmm. engage with organizations that go down that path. And so, yeah, and I, I very much uh, enjoy and think it's important to speak about diversity, but I also very much enjoy speaking about my my uh, primary areas of expertise um, in data and software. And in your professionally, like in your jobs, like mm. did this ever be a topic where you felt like, oh, you're being maybe not uh, appreciated enough or a bit prejudiced against mm. because you're a woman and you're in technology? Uh, not explicitly. Uh, not explicitly. Of course, you it's hard not to feel like you stand out when you're, you know, in a team of 30 people and yeah. you're the only one that looks a little different. Um, but it's not explicit. And that's the whole point about unconscious bias. And I, I purposely choose organizations uh, that I know walk the talk of their values. So when we mm -hmm. talk about culture, we talk about actions and behaviors. Um, and I just won't tolerate a workplace that doesn't have that. And so... I've had job offers or investment opportunities for organizations that don't have diversity and worse have told me that they do not value diversity when I asked, you know, what's the plan with this? Um, and I just won't engage with them. It's as simple as that. I think you have to vote with your feet and vote with your wallet uh, yes. to change it. So. So it's a little bit uh, it's a little bit inevitable that I luckily haven't felt um uh felt the effects of it and i have much felt the effects of it and i have chosen organizations uh to engage with on the basis that they create an environment uh where you're much less likely to to fall into those traps which are easy to fall into mm -hmm. and how what do you feel like um other women who come and speak to you mm -hmm. what are some of the challenges that you see are commonly faced amongst them in the tech world I would say in the tech world specifically, the most common one is people, and I've faced this as well, people making assumptions about how technical I am yes. on the basis that I am uh, yeah. that I am female and that, you know, I like to dress cute and stuff. <laughs> so um, feminine and female. And yeah, that tends, there are assumptions made. Um, and then the other one, but I don't think it's specific to uh, the tech sector is uh, when you come of childbearing age or average childbearing age it will be assumed that you might have kids soon and because we don't have parental leave in switzerland that makes you uh, allegedly riskier candidates mm -hmm. um and i mean i think I, i don't know whether this is your experience too but uh every person i have spoken to has said when they do interviews around the like 28 to 30 something age 
they have been asked in interviews whether or not they plan to have kids, which is completely illegal. Yeah. But somehow is, totally normalized. Wow. <laughs> and is that more you see here in Switzerland? Oh, well, in places like the UK, for example, mm -hmm. that's just not acceptable. And in the UK, they're quite advanced because they... In their, uh, even their administration, the signals are very strong in terms of, you know, um, actually for, for whatever reasons ended up getting uh, married in, in, um, in the UK instead of Switzerland. And even on the forms there, it says parents one, parents two, and it gives you the option of how you would like to be addressed, bridegroom, bridegroom or none. And those are really subtle, but in the same forms in Switzerland, it says mother and father. Mm -hmm. And so anyways, I think there's in the UK, they naturally have through processes, you know, they you're not allowed to put your address on a CV. They've even been thinking about like removing names. You definitely can't put a picture like in Switzerland. I mean, I don't know whether it's still the same now, but back in the days it was you were expected to put a picture on your CV, which is funnily enough, strange. it is actually still the same. Like when I was working in the US five years before this, this mm. is not the norm there. Right. Mm. And earlier this year, I was circulating my CV And some of the people, like Swiss people, wrote back to me asking me to put in some of these details, including my photograph, Yeah, which I found quite rather yeah. old school because who does that anymore? Yeah, But it's But it, it's still, unfortunately, it's still the case. Yeah, uh, And that's that's mad. You yeah. put your date of birth, oh, you put your marital yes. status. Like, what the hell? Yeah. That's completely irrelevant to my competencies. Definitely. Well, I mean, hopefully things are changing slowly and, and organizations like the ones you are yeah. uh, leading are definitely making a difference. Yeah. Um, let's also speak a bit about, you know, you were working operationally in, yeah. in these and then you moved into transitioned into an advisory role. Yeah. So how was that whole journey like for you? Really fun and I mean, it's at first it's a bit scary because you create, um, I mean, Techface was not so scary because my co-founder stayed in the business active. So that was a little more natural transition and uh, yeah, a happy transition. Girls in Tech Switzerland was amazing transition. But of course, at first, you know, you're sort of, you, you don't really know uh, how it's going to work. It's, it was the first transition I was, I was making. Um, but where... It did happen organically because I participated in the mentor-mentee matching program that Techface proposes. Mm -hmm. And I had been matched with a mentee and I'd known her for, you know, a year or two at this point. And I knew she wanted to pivot into tech. I knew how organized she was. And anyways, she turned up, she turned out to be the perfect candidate to, to become the next managing director for Girls in Tech Switzerland. She surrounded herself with an incredible team. Um, and uh, yeah, and at the beginning, you're a bit more involved. You want to give them all the tools they need. And then, and then you step back and you realize they're doing a better job than I think I could have done myself. So it's really rewarding to see that and to still be able to support them as a board member which is a very different role because you have touch points every sort of three months mm -hmm. uh, you're looking at big picture topics and then uh, the way I work at least is if they have a work stream that they want me to collaborate on more closely I will do in both organizations um, so you get to kind of like move either from a bit more advisor strategic roles into something a little more operational if it's your expertise um, and give them more hands-on support but uh, Yeah, there are 
there are quite a few considerations, their motivations, the the length of commitment that they're willing to, you know, to mm -hmm. sign up for. Um, but ultimately, I could see the characteristics and her motivations, like why it made sense to her um, to to take on this role. And so, yeah, I think that those three factors combined just made it very clear that that she was going to do great and um, the leadership element was really important because of course you can choose one person whether it's a, it's a CEO or in this case managing director um, to take the lead but they the leadership and the ability to surround themselves with people who uh, who are smarter even than they mm -hmm. are in certain areas um, is the most important skill um, because that's what powers up a team. And, and she's really, her, uh, Corinne and Lisa, have been able to build a team around them of highly motivated um, individuals that understand uh, the the mission, the purpose, and how it's serving them. Um, and yeah, it's been more, I would say, they've had better success than, honestly, I could have done my uh, our, ourselves. And it's been great to see it uh, evolve over time. Yes, I also uh, follow Lisa on uh, on LinkedIn, so I'm uh, always very happy to read her posts yeah. and uh, we've also reached out to each other. So definitely I see her like working towards the mission and vision yeah. quite well. Yeah. No, they're amazing. And I I hope, of course, uh, that the 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 responsibility of the um, advisory board is to um, hold them accountable and make sure they understand even their own value, right? I mean, they're amazing and they sometimes deserve to be reminded um, of the amazing results they're getting and, you know, how to engage with organizations so that they're not, uh, so that they're getting the maximum value mm -hmm. for their members, for the team um, and having a maximum amount of impact. Mm -hmm. And in 2017-2018, uh, mm. uh, you also started VAS website as a service. Yeah. So that was another, you know, venture in yeah. your bucket of ventures. Was that also a deciding factor to kind of take a step back on these and focus on this one? Yeah. So those were happening. So um, Girls in Tech Switzerland and WAS websites were built in the same couple of years, West websites came about because I had come back to Switzerland with the explicit intention of building a business. I mentioned I had a few hypotheses. One was setting up an uh, either software or software consulting for doctors, uh, which had come from my own frustration that you couldn't book appointments outside of nine to noon or whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, you had medical practitioners, trained medical practitioners, uh, calling people or SMSing people to remind them about their appointments, which I think is mad. Um, and so I set out to fix it. Uh, but in my interviews, I found that the payer of the product uh, was not the person feeling the pain of the product. And so the offering didn't work. But in the meantime, I was helping friends with their um, WordPress websites and so on. And I realized that the model there was that um, Swiss uh, in Switzerland, the market is that you pay 20 to 50K for a new website. And then any maintenance is at least 160 francs an hour mm -hmm. and this 
price point just doesn't work for the majority of small businesses in Switzerland. If you're a stylist starting out, if you're a hairdresser, if you're a shop. Um, And so I wanted to create something that was better suited to their needs. Um, And I had uh, looked into some of the stats. 60% of businesses in Switzerland don't have a a website, which is a huge stat. But if you're thinking like you're just starting out and you're supposed to fork out 20K for websites, like I understand why they don't, right? Mm and so I wanted to create a model that um, that gave them a more stable uh, payment to make each month. It meant income was more stable for me as a business, and it meant I didn't need to count my hours. Because when I was in the traditional model of like charging, you know, a couple hundred bucks an hour, whatever solutions I would propose to the clients, they would always choose the one that was cheapest, not yeah. necessarily the best. And so with a subscription service, I was able to, they were able to call me for whatever edits they needed. And then I could implement whatever I thought was the best solution. So I came around to WAS websites as a need that had identified outside of what I was focusing primarily. And then, yes, you're right. I then had to put energy into that. Um, but the transition uh, to becoming a board member actually came. I continued to be quite active in the team uh, when I was when I then transitioned to working for, for Palantir. And then when I was based in Singapore for Palantir, that's when I realized I couldn't be present enough. And so... Um, uh, and so as part of that, we, we ended up transitioning the, the team um, to be more local and more mm-hmm. active. And, uh, and it was amazing to build my network and sort of those objectives that I had had originally and uh, also felt uh, uh, happy to give those opportunities to, to another team who clearly uh, deserves it. Wow, it's it's really impressive to hear how you you know continuously in your career were able to successfully manage multiple uh, initiatives at the same mm. time. Um, I'm curious to know more about VAS. Like you mentioned, mm. uh, that VAS was you know started with the intention to democratize mm-hmm. uh, websites for small businesses. Mm-hmm. So was this uh, from the point of view of price, user friendliness? So both. So the price point was definitely something that I thought was really mismatched. So Mm -hmm. the, I mean, I've mentioned the price point. The other one uh, was, I thought the the solutions were mismatched because the standard uh, tool was WordPress. And now there are other providers that have caught up to them. at least caught up to the level that those small businesses need in terms of uh, SEO rankings, for example. And WordPress was still too advanced for the the customers to have any autonomy in the configuration of the website. So choosing solutions that were better suited to the client's needs. And then the service proposition uh, was also one that I thought was important because when you're a small business owner and websites are not your area of expertise, to be able to call someone and say, hey, I'd like to add a page mm-hmm. uh, to do this or I'd like to make this modification, there's a certain like reassurance that you can call someone and you're not going to get a surprise 3,000 franc bill uh, because you asked them to add a page or update an image or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so on the one hand, my clients can, if they so wish, update the website themselves because of the tools we're using. And then on the flip side, if they want to call me and make the edits, it's included. They pay the same price per month and uh, I'm at their service. 
So I think that there's a comforts level as well to know, I know how much I'm going to pay and I know I've got a partner that I can call anytime to, to help me keep uh, evolving my website alongside my business, which is evolving too. Great. And how many people are helping you on VAS? So uh, VAS, I am alone. I work with a maximum of six clients per year. Mm-hmm. Um, given my sort of time constraints. I really enjoyed the creative process of building the websites, working working with the, the customers to understand their business, their vision mm-hmm. for the business and bringing that all together. So yeah, it's a, a bit of a more creative, uh, uh, differently creative outlet for me. So I really enjoy it. Wonderful. Mm. And how are you able to manage that with now Palantir? And, you know, Palantir mm. is known as everyone uh, is aware leading a you know company in data science yeah. area so how did that opportunity arise and how are you balancing both of these yeah so the opportunity arose so at this the context was that i had been building was websites girls in tech and techface for a couple of years um things were running and the sorts of uh, i would say concepts were proven for TechFace and um, was websites and of course Girls in Tech was running and so I met with a friend um, who I had done one of my coding courses with and and she just kind of interrogated me on on where I was at and um, I really enjoyed building the building out but once it was running I was less uh, engaged and so she said look I have this I work for this organization that works on really really big problems and you get to build a lot of stuff you know from scratch and solving these problems and I think you'd be perfect for it and I looked up I looked into the company I had to really think for myself um, in terms of the type of work um, we'd be engaging with and yeah got really excited the more I kind of learned about them and yeah I was interested in working on bigger problems so you know at the moment focusing on accelerating drug discovery uh, you know these are like problem sizes that have a giant impact on the quality of people's lives Um, and uh, yeah I wanted a bit of uh, a bit of that being able to build from scratch so in all of sort of your choices, you know, mm-hmm. career choices, uh, you've really focused on on working in the tech for good mm-hmm. area. Yeah. And previously, when we talked about, you also mentioned that in this year, 2022, yeah. um, you are also investing, uh, yeah. you know, uh, with the through Moonshot, which is yeah. an in- impact investor company. Yeah. So tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, so um, the transition there was that I had accumulated somewhere around 20 business ideas and um, still very much enjoy and enjoyed my work with Palantir. Um, And I worked with a business coach who helped me filter the ideas a bit. And, you know, the logic was let's look at where you could spend your time and money because of course entrepreneurship is both a time and a financial investment um, and look at the different criteria and so we defined criteria as like is it innovative is it having a positive impact uh, what's the time commitment you're wanting to make uh, given your enthusiasm for your role at Palantir today um, and we slowly but surely started eliminating different uh, ideas 
based on that criteria. And what stayed uh, were a few things, um, one of which was investing through the Moonshot Network. And the idea there was that I could participate in entrepreneurship uh, without being in it actively because I was able to build Tech Face, Girls in Tech and Wes websites when I was doing it full time for two years. Starting a venture from scratch is not impossible. We know the stories of, uh, you know, the the successful side hustles, but it's a lot. And doing yeah. it with a full-time job that you love uh, and that you're not particularly trying to get away from, right, um, didn't make sense for, for me and doesn't make sense for me. So instead, I chose to engage with entrepreneurship as an investor uh, rather than an mm-hmm. entrepreneur myself uh, at this time. Wonderful. And how do you, uh, you know, how do you make these choices through Moonshot? Like what is kind of the engagement with with the company? Yeah. So the reason why I chose to work with Moonshot is I had looked into angel investing in general. And I knew, you know, from the outside that was like, it's probably inaccessible, but okay, fine. Let's let's look into it. Um, the returns can be pretty great, but the the top advice I kind of took away from my research and uh, events, uh, networking events, angel investors, was that you, when you go into angel investing, you need to think about your first five to 10 investments, not just your first mm-hmm. investment because of the odds. So generally out of the 10 investments, one will pay for the other, more than pay for the other ones, but you need 10. And so in the typical sort of angel investor circuits, um, it's a lot of work to do the due diligence and then the like entry prices, you know, I mean, it can start at 10K, but it's usually more around 50 to 150. And then the lower price points tend to be the earlier stage startups, so they're riskier. And so I couldn't really find an, a, a, a plan for my first five to 10 investments that worked in the traditional model. And then when I came across Moonshots, and I think the Swiss uh, Swisspreneur Syndicate, from what I understand, is a similar model, mm-hmm. um, allowed investors to uh, collectively invest a bigger share into companies. And Palantir was one of the companies they had previously invested in. Um, and... So I liked the innovation of the model to be able to uh, say, well, this these types of companies require big investments. So let's make a big, big investment, but then split it between smaller um, investors. So it gives access to companies that I otherwise wouldn't have access to that are later stage. Mm-hmm. And so the entry, the tickets price is a lot higher, but also the risk is lower. Mm-hmm. And so with entry points like from 500 francs a month or 10,000 francs one go, you can invest in those companies. So then with those kinds of figures, I could actually start planning, mm-hmm. you know, over the space of years, of course, but I could actually start planning my first five to 10 um, investments with them. So, yeah, I ended up again, it's one of those like innovative uh, business models that I think is win win for everyone. Uh, They do a lot of the due diligence, which, of course, we do our own, but there's a big part that they take on uh, and a lot of the administration. And so um, you you're able to to spread your investments over several companies in a way that you wouldn't otherwise. And there's also a a selection process that uh, saves you doing your own kind of deal flow um, yourself. So it works for for them as an organization and it works for us and it works for the the companies that get to raise funds um as well and you invest in companies globally with moonshot 
So, so far, they do have companies from outside uh, one social, do you know the social network called Public? It's like following mm -hmm. investor uh, in, in investments. Um, I personally didn't, didn't invest in that. I invested in a, what is a Swiss company called Synhelion, uh, which turns CO2 into energy. Um, very interesting company. I hadn't set out to invest in that kind of company because I wanted to stick to my domain and software. Um, but right. I, I uh, believe in investing in the change you'd like to see and uh, the energy transition is one of those things. So I, I did invest in Synhelion. And now uh, they have a Web3 offering, which uh, they're developing at the moment, but I'm very interested in as well, where they're focusing on the infrastructure of uh, Web3 concepts. Um, Yeah, metaverse, uh, blockchain, um, and uh, and I think it's a smart way of thinking about it because similar to Web 2.0, mm -hmm. there will be a transformation in terms of the the technology that stays and influences our day to day lives. But who wins the race is, uh, you know, there will be a lot of uh, kind of uh, cadavers of companies before there there are some winning ones. Um, and so buying a basket of companies and focusing on the infrastructure uh, mm -hmm. versus the currency itself or a single company that's on a network, um, I think is a good way to go about it. So again, uh, uh, innovative business model, smart team and uh, shifting the the industry standard to be win-win for for all the stakeholders and in your experience um mm. what shift do you see in the future in terms of technology and, and what will be more valued and in, in 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 the world yeah so some of the technologies i mean i think the big ones uh we've and certainly anyone listening will have heard of uh are around blockchain and metaverse i mean the one the some of the applications that absolutely scream at me is the notary system in switzerland like this needs to be yes, <laughs> yes exactly smart contracts need to be a thing um sooner rather than later so that feels like inevitable areas the metaverse or at least augmented reality so you might have seen recently that um a lot of companies in the u.s are no longer doing free returns for e-commerce because it cost them something like 200 billion uh, in the last year and uh, up from uh, up from the year before uh, because people will order several sizes mm -hmm. and then return. I mean, we've all had this experience, but the uh, metaverse with a to-size avatar yeah. or an augmented reality tool uh, could make that much more efficient. So... These technologies are going to become part of our day-to-day -day lives. And yeah, we're still in the relatively early adopter phases. Um, and yeah, it's uh, th those technologies are, are an inevitable mm -hmm. uh, part of where we're headed. Uh, so I think those will become more, those two will certainly become more important. And the last one is um, machine learning and artificial intelligence, which mm -hmm. is already quite present, but becoming more and more so with uh, with the generative AI like Dolly. Um, and we use this a lot in our in our work at Palantir as well. Yeah, um, yeah so these will become day to day uh, technologies. And at the moment, we're still figuring it out. But uh, that's part of part of the journey. And you I mean, apart from this vision and foresight that you have, you know, of your how you want to grow and what kind of companies you wanted to invest in. Um, it was also uh, an interest you mentioned came, coming from your personal financial, uh, you know, insight that you had. Uh, 
you mentioned as well the interests and hobbies uh, you have are in you know diversified areas um so you invest in arts you invest in in different kinds of companies you know etf so tell us more about how uh you plan out your personal finances the way i think about it is splitting between um less risky and riskier uh investments so the bulk of my uh savings go into etfs um a, a robo advisor in particular called selma mm -hmm. i think robo advisors are brilliant because they are programmed by calm and rational uh developers and finance professionals mm -hmm. and so there's less um risk uh, to react to the to the uh, market more emotionally mm -hmm. and ETFs have or indexes and ETFs have a 10% average return over time um which i found to be true with the 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 ETF i invest with so that's one and then uh art is a is one that i value as well so art as more of a uh art and i would say real estate are more intrinsic value assets uh ETFs are great for cash, but mm -hmm. there's no intrinsic value the way arts can be hung in your home. Um, and I there I found uh, so the challenge I found with art is that I didn't know which artist to bet on. I'm not an art historian. I know which ones I like, but I didn't know which ones would be interesting investments. And I came across an organization called Empty Arts. They're solving the problem of artists that artists shouldn't be their own uh PR team or marketeer they should focus on their art and so they curate artists that they think are going to be a success and they play the role of PR and marketer uh creating partnerships uh connecting with collectors and so they're building the profile of their artists it's a similar to the Hollywood actor agency model where mm -hmm. the actor focuses on acting and the agency you know builds yeah. up their 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 profile um and i've done really well there so i've bought three pieces over the course of the last few years i asked for evaluation uh recently of the pieces and the two pieces i bought in 19 and 20 respectively have now more than doubled in value so of course this is like um uh, it's not sold yet. It's not as liquid as an ETF could mm -hmm. is, uh, but it's definitely you know beautiful and useful. Yeah. And if it, it it maintains and grows value really well even during an economic crisis, so uh, so I invest in in arts as well. And what do you feel about uh, you know arts, which is now coming up in in the form of digital assets like NFTs mm -hmm. versus this real art uh you know that you can hang in your homes yeah um there's also as you know one sees a decline value yeah. uh of these tokens so yeah. what what is what is your uh, input so on this i so nfts are incredibly useful as certificates of authentication mm -hmm. uh and you can of course print an nft or you can have an nft certificate tied to a physical um tied to a physical artwork and i think that's incredibly useful because my the two artworks um that are physical artworks that i have have paper certificates which mm -hmm. is great but i'm so nervous of just like losing it in my house yes. that an, an nft certificate would be most welcome and then I bought an NFT, but I bought an NFT uh, from artists called Obvious that uh, use um, 
artificial intelligence to create their their artworks and I'd been following for years and mm -hmm. wanted an artwork and their artwork is called Brave New World uh, which is a reference to the book which is a sort of dystopian view on technology and so I thought these, these sort of layers of uh, AI generated mm -hmm. work commentary on Brave New World and the fact it was an NFT was worth worthwhile buying but arts art is one of those where I think if it were to be worth zero if you still love it great and the yeah. same applies to NFT don't buy an NFT if it were worth zero you'd be you'd be sad buy an NFT that you think is beautiful that you'd love to put either in a digital frame or mm -hmm. print and use as physical which is what I did with the with mine I actually got it printed properly and got it framed even though the framed version is like essentially like a poster of the Mona Lisa, right? It's not really, it's just an impression. The NFT is the actual artwork, but I can take advantage of it in its physical form. So if you have a board ape and you frame it, then great. That's uh... probably in the future with AR and VR, we will have more of uh, this immersive yeah. uh, experience with such digital art as well. Yeah, those are existing already. And the yeah. digital art is fascinating and so intricate and so much work goes into mm -hmm. it. So um, I absolutely believe in it. And yeah, of course, there was a, a lot of yeah. hype, but it's going to continue. Uh, it's going to continue existing, of course. Yeah, being useful. Great. And so what do you see uh, for yourself in the future? Like, mm. where do you see Stephanie Barker? Yeah, that is a good question. <laughs> um, no, I see myself, uh, for now, I very much enjoy, uh, again, uh, I don't know what my next challenge is. So the, the clients I've been working with on uh, accelerating drug discovery, I'm not going to be switching roles. I'd like to switch closer to a product role, where at the moment I've been on an um, enterprise implementation role. So I would like to move closer to product. Um, I think often about uh, going back to full-time entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. But when I think about that, I think about why do I want to go back to full-time entrepreneurship? And a lot of it has to do with um, applying entrepreneurship skills, having autonomy, and all the things that I want from entrepreneurship, I currently get in my um, in the organization I work for and in my projects outside. Mm -hmm. So there's an element of uh, you don't want to start a business for the sake of starting a business. Yeah. You want it because you want certain things in your life. And I find that I have those in my life. So uh, if I'm uh, in a similar similarly satisfied places now um, and have the opportunity to invest in and engage with more businesses outside of my day job, then I will be very happy. Yeah, I, I, I foresee now that maybe you would go on to full entrepreneurship so, yeah. since there's something <laughs> bubbling yeah. in you. So maybe we'll have another chat yeah. sometime about your new venture with as well. With pleasure. <laughs> So uh, is there any uh, resources like books, or audiobooks, podcasts uh, or gadgets that you would like to recommend to our listeners? Uh, yes, I. Um, so I've mentioned I've mentioned Selma ETF Moonshot as resources Um I listen to if you enjoy tech, I listen to a podcast called Pivot. Um, by Kara Swisher and Scott Galloway, Kara Swisher being the most influential tech journalist and Scott Galloway being a bit more of a tech business mm -hmm. strategist. Um, and I use Blinkist. Mm -hmm. Do you know Blinkist? Yes. Yeah. Um, very much enjoy Blinkist 
for my more nonfiction books. So yeah, those are the the main uh, those two are the main things I listen to and read: Blinkist and uh, Pivots. I am reading at the moment a book called Ministry of the Future, um, which is a little dystopian about the direction of climate change, um, but a very good read nonetheless. If you need a wake up call. Mm-hmm. And you also mentioned Brave New World earlier, so that, yes. that's another interesting to- topic, yeah, project as well. Yeah, yeah. Brave New World is a great read, 1984, similar theme. Um, I really, one of my favorite books to reread is Utopia mm-hmm. by Thomas More. Um, very interesting. I mean, the, the focus is sort of why, why do we value certain things and... Uh, yeah why as a society have we come to value certain things and putting that into question so very much enjoy that read too thank you wonderful suggestions so that leads us to our last segment which is the rapid fire questions (laughs) so you're ready for this great yes england or switzerland switzerland if you had two job candidates with equal skills and culture fit Mm -hmm. and one was male and the other female which would you hire and why Uh, it depends on the composition of my existing team and whether there are things that don't fit on a CV that I think the person would bring uh, to the table in terms of the team culture or just a different perspective. So a different perspective can come from, uh, you know, diversity factors like gender and uh, uh uh, religion, ethnicity, whatever it might be, but it can also come from... Uh, going to a different school or studying a different diploma than most people in the team or interests outside of work that maybe bring them, you know, maybe they practice martial arts and that's important. Um, one of my friends uh, got an internship on Google and they were, they had these two candidates and he ended up getting the job because he uh, was very into football and it turned out the the role needed to develop a community around, it was for mm. google plus at, at the time if anyone remembers <laughs> that um and they were developing football communities and so he ended up getting it because of that because he was bringing that perspective mm-hmm. um that was similar to the customer so i would say in that case i would look at uh, the current composition of the team and the current goals of the team and see if there's anything outside of a sort of cv uh parameters uh, that, that those candidates could bring to the table what does success mean to you? Success is having uh, financial stability and security. That's kind of f- fundamental. Uh, the next is having meaningful relationships that inspire you to go forth and you know be happy and go for whatever you want. This, I mean, this is all uh, quite proven, but relationships are very important. Um, And then feeling that you are building a lifestyle and that you're working towards what you think is your is your life's work. So day to day, are you living the kind of life you would like for yourself? And are you working towards something uh, that is important to you? In my case, that's having a positive impact on the world. And so I check in with that. Um, But of course, depending on the person, that goal or outcome might look different. But yeah, um, relationships your um, lifestyle and the goals or impact you'd like to have on the world. What would you like to be known for? I'd like to be known for having had, um, having inspired people to, to feel good about themselves and to live better lives, better quality of life. 
Um, so if if people feel the people I'm around feel valued and heard and better uh, for having me in their lives, then I've done well, whether that's customers or friends or family. I think you're already doing that. So oh, thank it's, you. It's, it's, mm -hmm. uh, it was an absolute pleasure to speak with you today and thank hear about you so your much. story and different insights on you know, valuable topics. Mm. Thank you for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, you can support us by rating our show on Apple Podcasts. This way, we can reach an ever-growing number of aspiring entrepreneurs. <laughs>